Coming up on the Best of Girls Play Footy on RSN Carnival, we catch up with the AFL Goldfields' Krista Woodruff, the South East London Giants' Mariana Graham, Bigfooty.com's Jason Lassie, AFL South Pacific's Ben Drew, and the Irish Banshees' Clara Fitzpatrick. I'm Peter Holden, and welcome to the Best of Girls Play Footy on RSN Carnival. And a quick reminder, you can download this program as a podcast by going to Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud and searching for Girls Play Footy. And don't forget, for all the latest women's footy news just go to girlsplayfooty.com or follow us on social media at facebook twitter and instagram just by searching for girls play footy back in april we caught up with footballer krista woodruff now she'd been playing for the north geelong magpies and decided to sign on in 2017 with the geelong cats vflw team and not only did she have a great season on the field she had a great season off the field as well helping run female football around the ballarat region with the afl goldfields competition Oh, look, everything's heating up at the moment, um, organising all the competition structure and um, where we're going to head for 2017. So, yeah, um, it's definitely getting very busy. It's certainly been a task, not only for yourself, but for another uh, a number of community leagues around Victoria because I think it came, I think it was sometime in November, December, the uh, AFL Victoria said, that's it, there is no more VWFL, everything's getting broken up into its regions. Uh, has it just been helter-skelter over the last few weeks to not only uh, take nominations from teams, but as you said, get the schedule, find the grounds and get a competition up and running? Yeah, look, it's been pretty good, actually. I've, I suppose I've only been in the job for about almost four weeks now, so um, all the guys at Goldfields have done you know, an amazing job um, getting the league organised and... Um, getting a bit of interest from the clubs um, that are going to participate in the competition. So um, really it's just about confirming those teams and um, making sure that moving into 2017 we have um, a really good um, start based and uh, strong, strong structure to, to begin with. I guess one thing that you're lucky for is that there's a little bit of a backbone to work off of because last year in the VWFL there was a Goldsfields division made up of uh, five teams. Yeah, look, that it really does make um, make everything a little bit easier. We did have a few sides um, already in the competition, so it was just a matter of um, finding out what original sides would um, be given to us, I suppose, um, in the gold field, and also um, looking at interest from other clubs who might be interested in um, signing up and, and getting some more women involved. We're interested in what you're talking to these sides about because just recently you were down at the Drysdale Football Club. The Drysdale Hawks are based on the Ballerine Peninsula. What's some of the things that you're talking through to them when they were having the information night? Yeah, look, I suppose um, the most important thing is letting them know what um, the structure of the competition is all about, what teams um, we have confirmed at the moment and um, where we're heading with the league. So... Um, making sure that the players, the potential players, are aware of the competition, um, but also making sure that the club's aware of um, where we're heading and making sure that in, they've got in place the, the structures to uh, commit to um, affiliating the side um, and also making sure that the, the club's going to be sustainable moving forward. And I guess it's very important to point out, since I mentioned Drysdale and also we can throw North Geelong into that basket, that the sides are in what we call the bar and catchment area are playing at least for this season in the Goldfields competition? Yeah, yeah. Look, they've um, you know, made sure that they're coming into our AFL Goldfields um, 
league at the moment. Of course, once Barwon gets up and running with their league, hopefully in 2018, if not 2019, then the potential is there for them to go back into that region. I suppose we're just making sure that they've still got a, a platform to participate so that once Darwin has uh, the participation numbers up for open-age women, then they can field the side and accommodate a competition. I guess the one toughest thing for the country leagues compared to those in suburban areas is if you're working in and around netball, because netball's a pretty big uh, part of most country clubs. Yeah, definitely. But we do find uh, primarily for junior participation uh, is that mix between netball and football because generally in juniors it's played on the same day. We're pretty lucky in the Goldfields region that majority of open age netball is actually played on a Saturday. So having our Sunday competition, um, we don't have that clash as such. So it actually allows us to, to utilise those girls that are participating in netball and potentially bring them into football and, um, and, and use them in our competition. At the senior women's level, how big are we looking at for the Goldfields competition? Uh, what's the amount of teams that we're looking at and, and, I guess, the reach of your region? Yeah, so, look, at the moment we've got 11 teams confirmed um, and hopefully a 12th with Drysdale. So that would be a couple from the Geelong area. Um, we've got a couple of teams from the RDFL, so your Sunbury's and, uh, and Melton. Then you've got Carisbrook, um, that's in the Maryborough, uh, Main District Football Netball League. Uh, and then you've got our Ballarat side as well. So with a pretty decent area that we're uh, getting teams from. So, yeah, it should, should make for a big competition. And what's the thinking behind that? If you do manage to get 12 teams up, you're looking at, say, an 11-round season, everyone plays each other once? Yeah, look, uh, the logistics of the actual competition won't be finalised until uh, next Monday night. We'll have our um, club coordinators meeting, but um, I suppose the, uh, across the board, the hope is if we do get the 12 teams up and running, the potential of having two divisions and um, having our more development clubs in one division and maybe our, our stronger clubs that have been participating in uh, female football for a length of time in another division. Because there are some clubs around that, as you said, have been around for a long time. I think of one, uh, for example, Lake Windaree, which has traditionally been strong through the youth girls, uh, a, a club that you used to play for, Bacchus Marsh as well, which I think is coming into its third season. Yeah, yeah. So we've got quite a few clubs that have been around for, you know, a significant period of time. Um, like you said, Lake Wendoree, Bacchus Marsh have been in for a few years. Uh, Redan Football Netball Club, they were actually pretty pretty strong in the VWSL when it was about, um, I think they went up to about Division 2 or 3. So um, we've got a few clubs in and around Ballarat that have been um, established for a significant period of time. Now, we know the VAFA women's are starting roughly around uh, mid-April. Um, we've heard that some suburban leagues are going to start April. The VWF, well, what should I say, the VFLW doesn't start until uh, early May. When are you looking at approximate kickoff time for the Goldfields competition? Yeah, look, we're pretty similar to, I suppose, most of the leagues. We'll probably start our season at the end of April. Um, so we're probably looking at an April 30 start, um, finishing in that early September. 
And how have the teams been going, I guess, trying to get all the resources? Because I guess, you know, with new women, uh, new clubs, new players in, there's footballs to get, there's volunteers, there's coaches, um, just uh, jumpers, there's everything under the sun that you need to start up a brand new team. How have they been coping with that so far? Yeah, look, I suppose with the clubs that we have involved, um, they've got a pretty good, strong base. Um, the clubs are all aligned, you know, with the men's football clubs, football netball clubs. So they've got um, pretty pretty good direction um, in amongst the club and good volunteer support as well. So they've been able to make sure that um, they've given the right resources and, and um, made people available to help out with those female football um, sections, I suppose. And we spoke to one player last week, Caitlin Ashmore, of course, is from Ballarat, from the Goldsfields region. Uh, what's the publicity been like around her in town and how has that helped, I guess, kick along the interest in women's football in the Goldfields region? Yeah, look, it's, it's pretty awesome. Um, Caitlin is very well known in the Ballarat region, um, as with a lot of the other female footballers um, in the AFL women's, I think we've... Ballarat um, as a whole in the goldfield section, we've got about 10 or 12 girls um, that have originally come from the area that are participating in the AFL women. So um, Caitlin's definitely a, an advocate for female football and um, her success will continue to drive female football in our region, but also um, we, we make sure that we, we try and um, utilise social media and market those girls that might have started grassroots, you know, um, in the region when they were in youth girls or junior girls and they're getting the opportunity this year as well. Now, of course, youth girls have the chance for a representative opportunity because there's the uh, Greater Western Victorian uh, Rebels uh, based out of Ballarat. Uh, for the senior women, if not this year, in, into years ahead, is there hopes that there will be representative sides representing the Goldfields region? Let's say, for example, against either Gippsland or the Northern League or the Southern League. Is there a hope or a pathway for this representative-type football? Yeah, definitely. That's something that we're looking um, into, I suppose, this year to see what what we can do in terms of um, improving the pathway for those, those open age footballers. Um, I suppose it comes down to just making sure that um, we we get the league right first um, and then we can introduce those pathways as we go along and, you know, the potential is there for interleague sides to start up. Um, like you said, going up against a, a Bendigo or, or Gippsland, those sorts of things. So um, it's definitely there. It's just a matter of making sure that we do all the right things to, to get those um, those clubs up and running and then we can start looking into those um, academies and interleague sites. We touched on uh, youth girls earlier. We know there's a pretty strong youth girls scene in the Ballarat region. Uh, what's that expanded to so far for the Goldfields competition in youth girls football? Yeah, look, it's, you know, Goldfields um, with the youth girls and junior girls, I think collectively we had about 20 sides last season and that's um, junior girls and youth girls affiliated sides. So this year we're looking at um, between 25 and 30 sides. So overall in Goldfields this year, we're looking at about 38 sides collectively across um, women, youth, girls and junior. So, yeah, it's really increasing and um, 
like the girls are really enjoying their football. Focusing on you personally for a moment, you started with Bacchus Marsh in 2015. 2016 made the jump across to North Geelong. And if I'm correct, you're pulling on the Cats hoops and representing Geelong in the VFL Women's Competition for 2017. Yeah, it's, it's really exciting. Um, yeah, like you said, I started off with the, the Colbury, um, had a bit of a run with them, just decided to pull on the boots for the first time since high school and um, have a run with those guys and caught the bug and um, decided that, yeah, last year I'd have a go at a higher level and went to North Geelong, really enjoyed it and lucky enough um, to be a part of the training squad for Geelong Cats VFL side so far. So fingers crossed I can uh, get a run in their side this year. We've heard of some of the uh, Bendigo women making the trip down to Melbourne uh, for their AFLW commitments. What's it been like for you having to travel from uh, Ballarat through to uh, Geelong, uh, I guess, a couple of times a week for your VFLW commitments? Yeah, I suppose um, for someone that lives out in the country and has lived sort of here for, for my whole life, it's, it's no different, really. We're used to travelling, whether it be to Melbourne for work or you know, um, Geelong for footy training, so it's not much of a difference. I don't mind the drive and, um, you know, sport's really important to me, so um, driving to do something that I'm passionate about doesn't worry me at all. Well, Krista, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy and we wish you all the very best in your new role as female football manager at AFL Goldfields. Thank you very much. Have a good night. Also earlier in the year, we caught up with Jason Lassie from Bigfooty.com. He's known on the forums there as the Wookiee. He's one of the moderators and responsible for looking after the women's section of the Bigfooty.com forum. And we talked to him about how women's footy was growing as a presence online and how people were trying to engage in the conversation about AFLW and the growth of the women's game. Uh, A couple of years ago, they put a call out for people that uh, were interested in moderating and uh, I'd, I'd done some work uh, through um, the footy industry stuff, stats and things like that that uh, people had taken a shine to and uh, the moderating team, uh, the, the administration team decided that was good enough and I've done it ever since. Uh, just to give everyone a picture, for those who for some reason have never stumbled upon Big Footy, just exactly how big are the forums there? Uh, they're huge. They are by far, I believe, they outrate um, by some of the larger news, uh, sports news websites for uh, for hits and things like that. So they are fairly extensive. There's something like 100,000 active members, I think, possibly more. Um, I don't have those stats exactly to hand. 100,000? Uh, 100,000 is... 92,000 members as of, as of the time we're speaking here. That's an extraordinary number, and of course, again, painting the picture for everyone, that is uh, sub-forums for every club, uh, sub-forums for uh, local league competitions, even debate about umpires, the media, sledging section called Bay 13, so it's massive, but you remember going back about a year or two, there was just the women's footy sub-forum. Can you talk about what life was in that sub-forum and moderating that before this AFLW competition? Yeah, look, prior to Prior to the launch announcements for the AFLW season, the, the Women's Forum was a rarely visited sub-forum that we had located way down like below regional footy, below like uh, state leagues, everything. Like, it was it was way down way down the list of forums that people would visit. Hardly any visitors. Uh, we had a, a moderator there who I think got bored to death or something. So 
Uh, when the announcement was made, I asked the administrators if we could uh, move it up so it was more visible. And I took over more or less moderating that for Bigfoot. And as a result of that, we've seen a massive increase in uh, since, since the announcement and the, and the teams and the season starting, just an exponential increase in uh, interest and posting and discussion on, on, on that matter. And isn't that just, I guess, one part of the battle of trying to uh, get women's footy into the mainstream media is online. It's uh, that social media, isn't it? Trying to get the conversation going and get people interested in talking about football itself being played by women. Yeah, absolutely. It's a constructive discussion forum. So you're coming on, you want people to be involved and be active, not just on their club forums, but in football in general. So these, when I talk about AFL women's sport, these are not counting the threads, the numerous threads and the sub forums that the club boards have created for themselves as well. So a lot of those have gone up. The Carlton one has a lot of interest in it. Uh, the Collingwood one has a lot of interest in it, or maybe a little bit less now that their con system loses. But, um, you know, there's a lot of interest in women's footy that has come up as a result of this that we are seeing a definitive result on, uh, on big footy itself. And when we do say Collingwood consistent losers, I do need to point out that Jason is a Carlton supporter. So uh, any chance for a little clip on the Magpies, I guess, is a knee-jerk reaction. Um, okay, I'm enjoying it, but it is, it is good. <laughs> now, um, and the one thing in those uh, clubs uh, sub forums as well um, is they've got not only just like game day threads, which they're now treating it like the men's match, but they're also treating it in a way as the men's of when these women were recruited. It was even threads for welcome to Collingwood or welcome to Carlton, such and such player. Each individual player had their own thread and a little bit about them. One of the things I wanted to do as a mod uh, on before was to make sure that we gave the same level of respect to the women's games that we did for the uh, to the men's game. And so for the club forums, they did the same thing, um, not necessarily following my lead. They had their own minds, obviously. But, uh, and so some, some of the clubs have formed their own sub-forums and they've got the same player welcome threads and the same, you know, the same discussions that they would have had exactly as if they were a male uh, athlete. So there's a, what we've done is we've got, for every for every match now, there's a preview thread, there's an autopsy thread, there's there's a discussion thread on the weeks uh, on the weeks games, exactly what we would have done if it was an AFL season. And I guess one thing that comes along with forums, like anything, there always will be negative comments, and that's male or female, uh, particularly the extra challenges with female football because some believe it shouldn't happen. There's the dinosaurs out there. How how do you control as a moderator that fine balance of criticism of the female game, which you could dub fair to those which are just disparaging, you know, just having a go at women and suggesting they should be running around in lingerie, etc. I've had a little bit, I've copped a little bit of flack over this in the last couple of days, actually, because this is more or less my alley week, as it were. Um, but well, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of talk in the first week that we let go because it was a new, it was a new thing and we, we couldn't stop the criticism altogether and it was like, women shouldn't be playing this and skills, uh, you know, not up to scratch and things like people basically speaking a lot of, from what they saw without really uh, having a bit of an in-depth discussion as to why it could have been that way. And so, before we, we like to let people, you know, air their grievances, but what we didn't want is for them to continue riding that horse into the ground week after week after week. So we made a conscious decision to uh, stop that after the first week. So we took it out of our game day threads and our autopsy threads and we said, look, you've had your piece on this. We're not going to let you contaminate every week and come back in and, and just run the 
deserve that, and uh, we, we, you know, we've got to show them some respect. For all that, I must say it is better than some of the comments I've received on YouTube, uh, where I had an index discussion with a man who's convinced that Jesus uh, forbids women from paying, uh, playing football, and the Bible specifically forbids women to act like men or something, and so that was that was a riveting discussion. Oh dear, the deep dark places of the internet indeed. Um, let's look on the positive note. Uh, plenty of threads happening in the Women's Footy Forum. That, of course, if you go on bigfooty.com, you click on Australian Football League and then at the top there's a Women's Footy Sub Forum. Can you tell me some of the hot issues that are being talked about at the moment, some of the threads you've got going? Yeah, look, there's some discussions about whether Women's Footy is a success. Um, and that's probably the biggest one at the moment. And I mean, that's going to be up for arms, you know, up for discussion pretty much for the whole season. There's no definitive answer to that in anyone's... In anyone, no, no one is specifically right about it at the moment. We won't really know that for some time to come. The other discussions underway at the moment, uh, we, we've got a fairly in-depth discussion going on about uh, well, the player of the year voting is underway at the moment. Um, so basically anyone can go on to Big Footy and, and vote and you know, give their three, two, and one for any match they want or matches that they've watched. So we're finding that a lot of people are watching more than one match over the weekend, which is good. Um, we've had some discussions about what, what, what clubs are going to do when uh, you know, what, what clubs have missed out. Where, 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 what are they looking at? Are they ever going to get in? What do they have to do to get in? Uh, surprisingly, there's a lot of Geelong uh, whinging at the moment. But, uh, and then, of course, we've got our summary threads where we've put all the information that's come up over the last six to eight months about the league and where it's going and what the plans are and all that sort of thing as well. We're tracking sponsor announcements. Uh, we're tracking local footy as well, not just the AFL. Uh, so we're, we're tracking developments and player announcements and participation agreements and things like that. Uh, so we're tracking a lot of stuff. And also code, uh, we're looking at what we call code wars where uh, the information's coming through from the BDL and netball and and what they're doing as well, so we can put what we're doing into context with uh, what the other codes are doing as well. Earlier in the year, we caught up with Ben Drew from AFL South Pacific to talk about how the women's game was developing throughout Papua New Guinea, Tonga and Fiji, and their hopes for how they would go at IC17 later in the year. Yes, so we have quite a few women playing from girls all the way right through to women in PNG. We had 38.1 last year of our participation which was female and there's a really strong focus on girls playing our game and we're really pushing pushing those barriers along with all the other codes in PNG as well um, as you would have known the Flames weren't there in 2014 but they certainly were in 11 and they are absolutely in training now at the High Performance Centre and they're getting ready and gearing up for IC17 uh, where are you seeing the biggest growth in female football in PNG? Is it coming from the youth girls level or from senior level? And say, for example, women swapping over from rugby. Oh, look, it's coming from everywhere. I mean, it, uh, while every sport's trying really hard to make an inclusive place for, for females to play, and it comes back to facilities and all the all the really nice areas you have, and have been able to accommodate girls playing as well. And but the the girls are coming from everywhere. There, there's lots of young girls playing in our new kick programs, which is our Auskick in PNG, but then our school competition uh, in each region of the country is very strong and we're very focused on having under 13 and under 15 girls playing in our school competitions and having an under 17 girls team as well. So every age group, the boys are in, the girls are in as well with their own competition. 
With the women's football there in PNG, is it predominantly based out of Port Moresby or are there regional pockets where the game is being played? Uh, the game's played everywhere. Uh, we were around uh, seven provinces of PNG, or seven areas of PNG. We have a senior leagues in Moresby and Lay for women, and then we have school uh, school competitions for our youth in uh, Port Moresby, in Karama, in Lay, in Hagen, in Kavian, and Kippy, and we'll be published here. And how's it been trying to uh, get the squad together that is going to form the PNG women that will play in IC17? Well, we're still... We're, the PNG games have been pushed back to November. They've been delayed 12 months. There's been a monsoon rain and weather in Western Britain where they were to play the games. But what we've done is we've moved... Uh, we're setting a plan for our staff and our coaches two or three of our guys to go around the country and actually see and watch all the regions play. Um, they're going to get to six provinces and have men's games and women's games, which will then help select both squads, which will then be cut down to the final teams that do travel in August. And what is the plan to prepare as a team um, when we get to around August? I know, for example, the uh, Americans, the Europeans, uh, even I think the Fijians are all looking to try and arrive a week early. Some are even trying to tee up a practice match. Is that the same plan for PNG? Look, that's up to the mosquitoes and the flame staff to, to work out what they want to do. But I would think that we're, they're looking at playing a game before they get down to Melbourne and whether it's against another Pacific Island that are flying through Brisbane or Sydney at the same time. Most of the islands come through Brisbane before they head to Melbourne. And the Fijians are working very hard, so they'll go probably fly through Sydney or go to Melbourne direct and get down a little bit early. But certainly both the men and the women in PNG will be looking at playing some sort of match in the lead-up, whether it's in PNG or, or, or in Australia when they get down. And I believe as well there's a fairly close relationship between AFL Queensland and AFL PNG. I think last year, if I'm correct, there was a youth girl side from PNG that played some of the uh, regional leagues throughout Queensland. Yes, there was. The under-17 youth girls championships in Queensland and we had our PNG curriculums come down for the first time in three years, which was very exciting. We, the girls were fantastic and had an absolute ball down there and we've already started planning to have them back in October. And this year we're also bringing down the other 14 current cups which will play in the other 14 girls state uh, development championships and they'll be in September school holidays at Bridgeshaw uh, alongside the under 14 Queensland boys for the state champs. So we'll have, a, we'll have 50 PNG kids 14 years old in, uh, at Bridgeshaw playing in the girls and the boys and the 14 champs in September. And I guess the ultimate aim uh, for PNG is not obviously wanting to take out the IC17 title, but fingers crossed that it'll be 2018, 2019, hopefully at some stage in the near future, a PNG female footballer could be recruited into AFLW. Oh, look, we'd love to see that. I'm sure there's every every female around the world that's playing in competitions from Europe to Asia to America to where we are in the Pacific there. They're working very hard. It's a very viable pathway for the girls now, and it's a very exciting one. And we certainly, <clears throat> me, we certainly love to see a young PNG girl get down to Australia and play in the competition. And whether it's a Papua New Guinea or a Fijian or, or an event from Vanuatu, it's, 
We spoke to you last week, Satiri, the uh, captain of the Fijian women's team, and uh, she spoke of how the gra- game was progressing there in Fiji. Um, how's it been like, for example, for Tonga, who played in IC14? Uh, do we hope to see a return for them? And how's it been in, I'd say, smaller areas such as the Solomon Islands, Nauru, you mentioned Vatuatu. How's the game taking on there? Game is, is very strong in the Pacific. We've got obviously PNG uh, leading the way to your pure population, but the uh, AFLPG Sateri does a magnificent job. She's also the development coordinator for AFLPG and, and runs all the development programs there. And they've got a really strong board and committee and they're really pushing forward there. Uh, the Vanuatu team, led by Nancy, another young another young lady who's their development coordinator, and she coordinates all the programs in Vanuatu. Tonga, Tonga are not going too bad. They're doing a lot of training. They're, they're working very hard. and They're coming off a different, a different um, base than everybody else. Nauru obviously love their football, and thirty-five percent of the population play our game. It's their national sport, so they absolutely love football. The big challenge for Nauru is how do we engage the girls more in country? And they're working very hard. That's what he's saying working very hard at making sure that it's a priority for them. And then we have the Solomons who are just absolutely moving forward at a rate of jobs. They are Daniel, uh, David Hollow, the development officer. They've just hired Jane Adessa, this a young lady there who's now their female development officer. And we've got an Australian volunteer over there, Dan, who's doing some terrific stuff there. And they're working very hard. And their numbers are growing and there's a lot more girls playing. So we're very strong with both boys and girls around the Pacific in the six countries that we're in. And obviously, as we as we keep going, our International Cup year and Ocean the Cup the number 15 boys in December, we're really working hard on the girls and growing the game for the girls. As we spoke to the Americans and the Europeans, they've been talking about how they've been loving to be able to tune in to watchafl.com and see the uh, women's matches in AFLW being played. Obviously, in the South Pacific, a lot more friendly time zone. Have you been able to use that as a selling tool? Not just AFLW, but actually the online streaming and being able to show women or possible recruits, this is the game, this is it now being played at the national level? availability of getting online content is not as is not as easy as it is in as that was, you know, in the um a bit of word, the uh, non developing countries, you know, in Europe and Asia where internet is just everyday life, whereas in the Pacific internet is not everyday life and not everybody has a connection and um and you know, having it on free to air is something that, you know, we we work really hard to provide opportunities for them to watch. I know Dan in the Solomons here when we play the Arthur Grand Final, played it in the local cinema so all the boys could watch the game. And all the girls came down and there was hundreds in the room watching in the local cinema. So it's not so much the online content. There's a lot of buffering and not everyone's got the ability to watch it, but certainly as much content as we can get, whether it's putting it on for the boys and the girls, yeah, whether it's organising where they can do it, it, it does. Um, the more we can watch, the better. But certainly, it is a challenge getting it to the Pacific. Uh, 
uh, one thing recently I was chatting to um, Laura Turner from uh, Nottingham um, uh, up in the UK. They were looking to find an Australian club to be a sister club of. Is that something that's uh, trying to happen in the uh, Pacific area for these uh, uh, smaller clubs to try and find a partner club for a cultural exchange, coaching exchange, whatever it might be with Australian-based teams? We do work on those things and we've had players in the past go down and play in different clubs around Australia from country Victoria up to Queensland. As you mentioned earlier, we have a strong connection through the Pacific with the AFL Queensland team and I base myself out of their office in Yeronga and and make my way around the Pacific a lot. And the AFL Queensland team have been a a driving force in in really assisting and, and providing a lot of support, not only the PNG but the whole Pacific. We had a Pacific training program for our staff, which then, based out of Brisbane, the Queensland team helped facilitate that. Then our staff went and spent a week and a half working with job sharing and shadowing development staff within Queensland. So and then from that, they've been able to go back home and then have a connection to different people to provide even more support, resources, uh, online resources, and, you know, books and training programs, and that's been able to help the guys in the Pacific then go and train their teams, organise their teams, and have a lot more ideas and a lot more support in bringing them down. And then on the other side of that will be connections to local football clubs and connections to the community in Australia between the Pacific and, and other clubs. And I guess following on from that, well, not just PNG, but I guess for Fiji and Tonga who are heading to IC17, will they be reaching out to Australians to look for volunteers to help the team while they're out here? And when I say help, that's not even in coaching. That's just in the simple things of running water, etc., to be able to just make things easier for teams on match days. Oh, absolutely. Uh, there's strong, the strong Tongan community in, in, in Australia. There's a strong Fiji community, certainly in Melbourne. And I know there's a big PG community in Melbourne as well. So that, that any help is good help. How big or small it is, it doesn't matter. It, it takes a you know, it takes a lot of people, a lot of time, and a lot of effort to get these guys here. And but when you think of the the money they raise and the work that they put in to get there, I mean, some of the countries they need to raise two to three local dollars to get one Australian dollar, and it's a massive expense to send a team or a group down to accommodate to see and then all those as well. So any, any assistance out there for the guys, uh, that would be absolutely most welcome, whether it's as simple as running some water or, or coming down on match day and, and you know, you might be an expert coach and you'd, I know you'll lend your services, but each, each committee and board are going through the process at the moment of making sure they've got proper coaches, training programs and then fundraising and, and all those efforts as well. Well, Ben, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy. Uh, we wish you all the very best in your endeavours throughout the South Pacific as you try and grow the female game of Aussie Rules Football. No worries. Thanks for having me. We headed from the South Pacific up to the Atlantic, to the UK, to the Southeast London Giants, where Mariana Graham was in charge of her team to not only play in the AFL London Women's League this season, but also in a interesting concept, playing football in Iceland for the Arctic Cup. Hi, Peter. I'm well, thank you. How are you? Not too bad at all. Great to have you on the line. Now, first of all, we have to ask, how's pre-season going in a temperature that's slightly cooler than what we're experiencing here in Australia? <laughs> it's a very cold pre-season. 
Um, it's going well, actually. It's been really good. I think we've had um, a good increase in, in new girls coming into, into the team. Um, so, that, so that's really positive. With, you know, there's still sort of almost two months, really, before the season starts. So to have, you know, um, 10, 10, or, 10 or 12 new girls join already um, is great and really positive. So we're definitely looking forward to, to the season ahead. Now, before we touch on a special occasion that you've got coming up on March 25th, and no, we're not talking about the AFLW Grand Final. Uh, recently, you had a, a taster day for the AFL London's Women's League with 41 women show up. Can you tell us a little bit about what the day was like and the interest that you got uh, for women wanting to take up Aussie rules in the UK? Yeah, so we so we decided that sort of to promote the game a bit more over in London. Uh, we would have a taster session that basically went through the basic the basic skills of footy. So we only really had three or four drills: uh, a handballing drill, a marking drill, a kicking drill, um, and like a little shepherding drill. Um, and each of the clubs got involved. So each each of the clubs organised uh, worked in pairs and organised sort of like what they were going to do for their drill, um, and ran those for you know ten fifteen minutes each. And then towards the end, we sort of said, well, let's give these girls a bit, bit of exposure to what the game is actually like and played like a little round robin between all the girls there. So, so we, had, uh, we had about 40 girls out, so split them up into three teams and, um, and just sort of had little, you know, 10-minute 10 minute, 10 minute half games. So it was, it was quite good and it was great to see that it's not only just, you know, the Australian girls that are coming out, you're getting a lot of... Uh, English girls or sort of rest of the world girls that want to try the sport. So that's, it was a very positive experience. That's fantastic to hear because there really has been an ambitious goal, hasn't it been, this year that uh, we saw in the 2016 season, yourselves along with North London, uh, Wandsworth and Wimbledon got going to 18 aside, but really a big task this year to try and get eight teams out in the park. Yeah, and, and I think the new clubs are sort of like, you know, the feedback I see of, that I've had is sort of that they're, they're definitely getting interest. Um, so, and I think it's, it's obviously how the Women's League has started back home. Because, you know, girls are coming over and saying, oh, okay, well, what can I do that's going to sort of give me something that, you know, I feel like I'm back at home. So, girls have actually just started looking for, for footy clubs, which is fantastic. So, I think, you know, you know, this will be our third season. And not, I, can, I can already tell that the girls are probably doubling in numbers. That is absolutely fantastic. As you said, 10 to 12 new players through on your own playing list. Uh, can you give us an insight to what the makeup is of Aussies versus uh, uh, Brits and girls from elsewhere throughout Europe that uh, are joining your club? Yeah, so for, uh, for our club, we've probably got, uh, say, 30-odd, 30, 30, 35 girls, and a quarter of those are at least British. Um, uh, we've probably got a good handful, a, a girl from Spain, a uh, South African girl, um, you know, so it's sort of like, it varies, I'd say a quarter, a quarter, 25, 30% of the team is, is sort of foreign players and the rest sort of made up of Aussie expats. Um, but, but we sort of, like, I've, I have had queries this year already from a lot more English girls, so, so hopefully, hopefully it means it's getting, it's definitely getting out there and we'll see more of the local, the local girls come through, which is, I guess, where, what you need for the growth of the game to, to continue. A lot of Aussies that go over to London, particularly Asia under 30, are there on the two-year uh, working holiday visa. So what does that have in the effect yeah. of turnover for a club like yours in women's, and I guess men's as well? I mean, how often and how many players are you literally turning over a season because of that visa? 
Um, we've been really lucky. A lot of the uh, the girls and guys that play with the club have sort of, you know, been here a bit more or are on European passports, so they're sort of excluded from that two-year two year visa. But, you know, and I know a lot of other clubs have literally had, like, you know, three-quarters of the team turnover because they're on the two-year visa, and once they get to that, they've got, you know, unfortunately they've got to go home. So I think it makes a big... It does make a big difference to, to a team. You know, you go from having a team that wins a premiership you know, you've got all these fantastic players, so the next year having to rebuild because, you know, the, most of their players have gone back. Um, but but I think it's it's great. It's sort of like it means that, you know, the competition's always, always going to be competitive. Now, you've got coming up on March 25th, ironically the same day as the uh, AFLW Grand Final, you'll be playing for the Arctic Cup. And when I say the words Arctic, it has nothing to do with the old VFL park out at Waverley, (laughs) but the conditions might be the same. Can you explain what the Arctic Cup's all about and how this idea sprung into fruition? Yeah, so um, so one of our one of our um, main committee members uh, got in contact with a team over in Iceland, who um, I think they've got they've got a men's team out in Iceland, and and they were keen. You know, every year we have like a pre-season trip, so so we thought, well, why not go to somewhere that's quite different, unique. Uh, we know that no no other clubs have really been out there or have ever been out there. Um, so we got in contact with them, and they were they were very keen to to get to to do something. And then sort of slowly, a uh, team over from uh, America and a team over from uh, Canada said that they were happy to join us. Um, and I also believe a, sweet, a Swedish team is going to come over. So so there'll be like a little round robin tournament. It will, it will only be nine aside. Um, you know, all our pre-season seems to be sort of nine aside rather than the full 18 aside, and I think a lot of the European clubs don't necessarily play 18 aside, so it sort of makes it a bit a bit easier. Um, so yeah, so we'll have a little round robin tournament. Um, it seems to be all going great there. Uh, all all teams are all you know raring to go. So I, I'm very much looking forward to. It. I'm not looking forward to playing in minus conditions. <laughs> Um, but but it should be a great day, and, and uh, the Icelandic guys are, are, are looking after us, so, so so it should be good. Am I correct from reading on social media? I think there's five men's teams, so the men's will be having a round robins, but there'll be just the two women's teams, yep. yourself versus the uh, Baltimore Washington Eagles. Yep, that's right. So so uh, yeah, so the guys have got a few more games than the girls at the moment. Uh, but yeah, no, it will be great. It, it, you know, it doesn't really matter. I think the the thing that matters is that. We're sort of out there and we're promoting the sport, um, you know, and, and hopefully it will lead to more people going out there. Can you give us a little insight to the squad that you'll be taking over to take on the Baltimore-Washington Eagles? Um, yeah, so, so yeah, so we've got sort of like our older players are going out there, so girls have sort of played a couple of seasons. Um, I think at the moment we've probably got about uh, eight or nine sort of like heading out there, and I don't know that we'll end up getting more. Uh, maybe you know a few more sort of like sort of swords, but it should be a good mix and a couple of newbies. So so hopefully it will give them exposure to what like an Aussie World game will be like before we actually get into the London season. And one of the the other things that you'll be uh, I guess doing or enjoying in Iceland while you're over there, because obviously you're not going to be over there just to play football. I believe you're making a, a long weekend out of it. Yeah, I think most people will be taking like the Thursday, leaving the Thursday and coming back on Monday or Tuesday. I mean, there's so much to see out there. So I know people will be uh, hiring cars and going out, checking out the Northern Lights, and um, you know, going for for swims in uh, in their amazing like uh, pools over there, outdoor pools. So 
church. It, it, it's, it's an amazing experience to be part of. And certainly one where you could say that you played for the first ever Arctic Cup uh, happening on yeah. March 25th. How unique is that to kind of make a little bit of experience playing in a game where no one thought they'd be playing Aussie Rules Football Iceland? I think it's it's a proud moment really for the club because, you know, it's sort of like leading the way to, you know, to, to playing footy in sort of like unique and diverse places. So, you know, I'm, I'm really excited. It's going to, it's, going to be such an amazing experience I, I really hope that you know clubs see see this and then you know decide to to go out and do it again the following year which I'm sure it will you know sometimes once these things start they tend to snowball and it will end up becoming like a, a yearly thing so it's yeah it's, it's, a, it's a very proud moment I think for a club. This is the best of girls play footy on RSN Carnival. I'm Peter Holden. Earlier in the year, we caught up with Irish woman Clara Fitzpatrick. Now, many months later, she would go on and star as a ruck woman for the Banshees in their uh, IC17 championship win over the Canada Northern Lights. But when we spoke to her, she just moved to Australia. She was just settling in. She thought about spending a year out here and trying her hand at trying to get into the AFLW. She would end up signing on with Diamond Creek, which already had a fellow Irish woman in Laura Corrigan, Jiraya, who would be drafted by Melbourne. So we asked Clara what her hopes were as she tried to take on this great game down under. Oh, that began since I was uh, 14. Um, probably about 10 or 11. Um, basically, yeah, just um, got involved with Gaelic football and I've uh, been playing ever since. So probably been playing like 15 or 16 years now. And um, yeah, really, really obviously love the sport. Um, yeah. And you were a star footballer in the midfield for uh, for County Down. Uh, talk us through uh, Gaelic football in Ireland, particularly at the women's level. How popular is it? If I guess you compare it to women's football here in Australia, um, it's probably on, on the same level as the uh, um, Aussie Rules over here. Um, it's probably our most popular sport back home, um, and yeah, pretty um, especially where I come from as well. Um, yeah, it's just big into Gaelic. Everyone kind of. And reading online about County Down as well, you've had a bit of a purple patch, haven't you, rising through, uh, I think, from Division 3? Yeah, yeah, we had a few rough patches. I, I've kind of uh, took a bit of a backseat with the county over the last few years there. Um, but, yeah, I think they're kind of rebuilding it now. And, um, yeah, probably in the next few years they'll be uh, rising up again. <laughs> Just to give an insight before we talk about traditional um, Aussie rules training, what's the type of training that goes into playing ladies Gaelic football, considering that there's a lot more running in your game? Yeah, so it generally depends on positioning. So obviously we have the, um, the defenders, the midfielders and the forwards. Generally, um, you would expect the midfielders to do more running, but obviously there is a lot of running throughout, basically from the back line right up to the forward line. Um, and it is a mixture of endurance and agility running. Um, but yeah, a lot of our training would be running based. Um, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so you began your journey with the Irish Banshees in uh, June of 2016. Uh, what got you interested, involved, and wanting to play Aussie rules football? Um, so yeah, it was a bit random. Actually, one of the girls I used to play football with in in university, um, I kind of posted it up and just said, basically, an introduction uh, to AFL. Um, back home, you know, just to try and um, promote the sport a wee bit more, um, and she kind of suggested a few people to get involved, so I just thought, you know, it was off one Saturday, why not take a wee trip up, um, and then from there, really, uh, I loved it, it was very, very similar to Gaelic football, uh, a lot of fitness, a lot of running, um, a lot of uh, skills transferred over, 
Um, and yeah, since then, I haven't really looked back. Really, really loving the sport. Of course, the legend that was Jim Stein's big name in Ireland, of course, through uh, his family name, the Stein's family through Gaelic football and, of course, being played Aussie rules here uh, in Australia. Was his profile um, able to highlight AFL more back in Ireland? And for that, even as a young girl, did you have an, an idea of Aussie rules football back then? Um, to be honest, I didn't know a massive lot about Aussie rules. Um, there was talk of kind of a few of the fellas had been recruited over or drafted over um, to a few of the clubs over in Australia. Um, but other than that, I didn't really know much about the sport itself. Um, I went to watch um, Ireland and um, Australia obviously played in the Aussie Rules international games um, a few times back home. And I went to see one of them. And again, it was a mixture of the Gaelic and the... Aussie rules, so that was really probably the first kind of insight I got to the game. Um, but other than that, apart from last, you know, obviously over the last year, I haven't I hadn't really known too much about that before now. And how did you find your first training session of Aussie rules football in Ireland? Uh, having to, I guess, learn the new ball, learning the bouncing of uh, the new ball, and as well, uh, and as well, the tackling that obviously isn't involved in Gaelic. Yes, uh, it was a wee bit different. Even uh, yeah, the style of kicking is a lot different. Um, yeah, so basically it was just like relearning the new skill of, you know, trying to break down the kick, the kick passing and the, the hand passing. But, um, yeah, no, I'm kind of still learning. I am probably a far, good bit off from being uh, perfect at it. But, um, yeah, still working on it. Um, yeah, pretty much. And uh, you were lucky enough uh, two months later to be picked as part of the Irish Banshees team that went over and played in the AFL European Championships. Were you shocked that just, you know, two months since you started training for this game that you're already representing a country? Yeah, that was was quite surprising, actually. Um, But it was a really good experience with a really good bunch of girls um, and it really, really good at actually learning more about the game and actually... You know, because obviously a lot of, you know, game time, there's a lot of game time over there, so it was good to actually uh, bring on the skills a wee bit more and um, a chance to learn more about the game, which is good. Really enjoyed it. And of course, in November, you headed to Melbourne. What, what made the decision for you in your head to say, I'm coming down under? Um, well, actually, um, probably for the last uh, two or three years, I was kind of always thinking in my head, I was going to go to Australia, I was going to go to Australia at some stage. Um, and then I finally I broke the tickets and was like right I'm going to go and it was just really luck how it all happened that I did start up the Aussie rules last year um, but obviously uh, the first thing I looked into whenever I got over here was you know starting up a Gaelic club and starting up an Aussie rules club and um, yeah just getting sort of check started with them now obviously the season just kind of well it's not just taken off yet but we're uh, yeah, pre-season training so yeah enjoying it so far have you already picked your club that you're going to be playing with in Melbourne, both obviously in Gaelic football, but most importantly uh, in women's football here? Um, yes, well, I've uh, picked well the Gaelic club. Yeah, we've had a few um, a few matches so far, just a few kind of nine aside tournaments or whatever. Um, so we've been doing a lot of training with them this month, um, and then Aussie rules. I'm kind of torn between two at the minute, but um, I think I'm going to sway towards one more than the other. Um, yeah, just because it's, you know, Diamond Creek Football Club. The Diamond Creek Football Club already has one famous Irish woman there in uh, yeah. Laura Jurea, who, of course, is uh, playing for Melbourne in the AFL women's competition. Uh, was yeah. it an easier decision to try and pick Diamond Creek, knowing that Laura's already there? Um, yeah, it was. Um, I think it was a bit of a 
It was, yeah, I think Oxford kind of swayed the decision. Um, she had kind of suggested the club, and I didn't know any, any other clubs around the region. Um, so I did I did train a few sessions with them uh, pre-season there. Um, and it's just, obviously, they're, they're up north of the city. And unfortunately, where I'm living now, it's uh, south of the city. So it's a wee bit, wee bit more travel-wise. But, um, yeah, um, that's kind of the club, yeah. Well, Laura's famous for having the nickname Irish at Diamond Creek, so now with two Irish women there, have they figured out how to solve the problem? <laughs> uh, not just yet, they're going to have to come and give me a different nickname or something, but uh, yeah, they had told me that he was he's the original Irish, so I would say I'll probably stick with her. <laughs> <laughs> and, and fair enough. Um, you must be champing at the bit to be able to play your first competitive game, but there's, uh, what, three months to wait now until you play. So what's what's the training sessions been like for you and, I guess, inter-club inter scratch matches? How are you enjoying it? Uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Um, like I said, I was, I was at a few um, pre-season sessions there just in December time, um, and then we were kind of off for a bit um, in January, and we were just kind of getting kick-started at the start of February there. But I have been, I've been training with the Gaelic, so I have. Um, so I'll probably look to do one day of each training. Um, just probably coming up in the next few months just to kind of split myself between the two sports. Um, and yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to the first competitive game anyway. So it should be fun. <laughs> As we know, you were a midfielder in uh, Gaelic football. Have you figured out what pos- what position yet suits you best in Aussie rules? Um, well, I was <laughs> placed in the ruck. <laughs> So, yeah, I was kind of in around that midfield section again. Um, it seems to be where I'm kind of well used to. Um, you know, just kind of a wee bit more freedom around that area. You can kind of go where you want. Um, you've got a wee bit of um, attacking and defending, which kind of suits my game a lot. Um, so I think that's maybe <laughs> where I'll go. If there's a place available, but um, we'll see how it uh, pans out over the season. And how long do you hope to be out here in Australia for? Um, so the plan initially was to come out here for a year um, and basically see how I get on in Melbourne, see if I like it. And um, if by the end of the year I do, uh, I'll probably probably look to stay on for a few years anyway. Um, but basically, yeah, I've given myself a year to see what I think of it and then I kind of make my decision then towards the end of the year. That's the plan, anyway. Well, a couple of things could help make the decision for you to stay a little bit longer. Of course, the first thing coming up naturally is in August, uh, where IC17 is on. Um, Ireland do field aside the women's division. It's the Banshees, which, of course, you played for in the uh, European uh, Championships. Uh, is your yeah. name firmly in for IC17, or is the selection still to be done for that team? Um, well, the selection still has to be done, so we'll just uh, yeah, just have to wait and see. Um, obviously, I think they have a we can take a, ting- a continuum from back home, and then um, they have a selection out here. So I think they have a pretty good selection out here to pick from as well. So it's, it'll be tough enough competition, but um, yeah, we'll just wait and see. Not, probably won't be long uh, coming around either. So. If your football improves over this year, are you tempted to throw your hat in the ring and nominate for the AFL Women's Draft in October? Um, well, I'm not too sure. I'd probably have to see if um, just what the standard is. So probably um, get a few games over my first and then see kind of where I would be kind of coming in. But um, I suppose because I'm quite new to the game, I'm not too sure. I might be, you know, might be a good bit off. But uh, yeah, we'll just kind of 
play it by ear over the course of the year and go from there. And that concludes another Best of Girls Play Footy on RSN Carnival. A quick reminder that you can download this program as a podcast by going to Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud and searching for Girls Play Footy. For the latest women's footy news, just go to girlsplayfooty.com or find us on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook. I'm Peter Holden. Until next time, it's bye for now.